Well, Jerry, we're going to hit another uh, episode in this uh, Glimpsing the Glory of God podcast, and we're, we're shifting gears away from um, his attributes and a little more into just some, some basic uh, things about God. And in this episode, we want to talk a little bit about creation. So why don't you kick us off? Well, yeah, the, the doctrines of creation really flow out of the fact of who he is. Um, we started this series by quoting from Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the works of his hands. Now that's a statement of physical creation. It's talking about the physical universe. Mm-hmm. Um, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But it's when we get into the New Testament, we get into, for example, Colossians 1, 15, 16, etc., 17, where we realize that creation extends to more than the physical, hmm. uh, that there was a creation of the various dimensions, uh, visible and invisible. So consequently, angels are creation, mm-hmm. they're part of creation. They're in another dimension. The devil is of another dimension, but these authorities, uh, visible and invisible, were created by him. So all dimensions, uh, heaven itself, are were created by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it ex- the New Testament expands our understanding of the creation that God uh, brought about. Uh, it, it says, you know, for in him... All things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, mm-hmm. who is him, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ, and for him. So uh, the Bible, of course, doesn't really give us detailed accounts of creation or of a philo- doesn't create a philosophy of creation. But it does claim that its account is accurate. Um, And it's very clear that creation is not based, again, like the Trinity, Mm -hmm. it's not based on the ideas of man. Um, And let me just give you a a specific definition of it. Um, The creation can be defined in this way. It's that free act of God whereby he, in the beginning, brought forth the whole visible and invisible universe without the use of pre-existing materials and thus gave it an existence distinct from his own and yet always dependent on him. And I think it's probably accurate to say no matter what, where you come from to the creation story, you have to believe something is eternal. You either believe that God is eternal or matter is eternal. Because something has to have existed prior to the beginning of what we now experience in our world. And, and so what, whatever you believe coming into this, something is eternal there. And at, when we read Genesis 1-1, we see God as the beginning of the story. And so if God is the eternal person then matter can't be eternal because God is now going to speak into creation some things that are going that didn't exist before. And from the creation story, he starts with light. But as we get into it, I, I think there's, there's, this, um, there's this belief that maybe you're more rational or more common sense if 
you know, you don't claim that God is eternal, but people that don't believe in the creation story the way we read in Genesis, they're still claiming to something that um, that we can't prove in a, in a lab, that there is uh, matter is eternal. Right. The evolutionist problem is that in science in general, and I, I don't, by saying that, I don't mean to imply that science and evolution are necessarily synonymous, <clears throat> but the problem they both have uh, is that they are limited to the time-space continuum. They mm-hmm. cannot see beyond it. And so the idea that their matter, evolution, for example, version of creation, matter uh, spontaneously, uh, there was a spontaneous Combusted. generation of mm-hmm. matter. Well, that begs the question. I mean, so where did the... Where did that come from? Right. Where did the energy come from or the matter? Or... Where was matter or energy or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. that was a spontaneous generation? Something existed. Mm-hmm. Something pre-existed right. the time-space continuum or we wouldn't have a time-space continuum. That's outside our testable yeah. world of science. And, and they can never get beyond the time-space continuum. Mm-hmm. They, they can't get beyond what was before. Uh, so it's... You know, eternity is necessarily uh, surrounds the time-space continuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, dualism, you know, two uh, equally uh, uh, two equally powerful forces. Mm-hmm. And that's Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> right. C.S. Lewis yeah. uh, made an interesting observation with regard to that kind of thinking, and he said, if there are two equal forces, that implies there is a stronger, more omnipotent force behind it. Hmm. Uh, which is a very interesting way to look at that. Interesting. You cannot have equal forces without a greater force behind it. To have put them in, in place. For them to be in place, to yeah. be equal. Right. Uh, so there's a number of uh, all these other ideas about creation really don't reach the real truth of what's going on. They can't. Well, that's interesting. You know, I went to engineering school and, and graduated with computer science engineering, but as I was going through my physics classes and my different classes in school, it's interesting to see all the fathers of the different sciences and how so many of them were Bible-believing Christians. Oh, yeah. Whether it's Isaac Newton or Louis Pasteur or all these fathers of chemistry and physics and, and did great accomplishments in science were all Bible-believing Christians. Galileo, uh, Kepler, yeah, I mean, Hercus, Faraday. And so there's a, there's a great history of people believing in Jesus and yet saying, okay, if there's a designer for this universe, let's go find out what that design is. And I think we see in the Western world a tremendous um, benefit from us believing the creation story because we believe that God places order the universe. It's not just random acts that you do things one way, well, tomorrow gravity's not going to have that same force. And uh, But because we believe in a designer, it pushes us toward finding out what God's world is and how we can steward it and make it better. Um, so I, I think there's a great partnership between the church and science, or there at least ought to be. And I'm kind of saddened that so many um, in the scientific community have pushed the church out and I'm sad that some in the church community have, have kind of pushed science out in some ways of, you know, I grew up, you know, kind of a few years ago, you know, when I was in, in college here and I ran into some people who were in the church who did not 
have uh, a real good understanding of science and kind of gave some some bad uh, bad name to some of the early creation science. So, what do you, what do you think about that partnership between science and Christianity, whether they go together or not? Well, I th- I think. I think they are, again, uh, inextricably intertwined, which is a phrase the Supreme Court uses a lot of times. Um, The truth of the matter is there is no scientific law that I'm aware of, and we all know I'm no scientist, but Mm -hmm. uh, scientific law is not contradicted by Scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, Scientific theory is. Mm -hmm. There are hints throughout the Scripture. Uh, Let me give you an example. Mm Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, mm-hmm. who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit of those who walk in it. Hugh Ross, uh, who is an uh, astrophysicist uh, and a Christian, makes the point that Isaiah 42, 5 where it says stretched out the heavens. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew there is re- referring to a continuous expansion. Mm-hmm. So you have an ongoing stretching out of the heavens. Like they're still going on today. Yeah. Um, you've got, uh, for example, Isaiah 40, um, where he talks about, let me see if I can find that, um, yeah, he says in Isaiah forty twenty two, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. They hmm. uh, didn't believe in a flat earth, <laughs> right? Uh, the um, Isaiah, um, I think it's Isaiah fifty five, uh, will say. Um, Verse 10, for as the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnish seed to its sower and bread to the eater. Uh, In other words, it says, and do not return without. So in other words, the implication here is it's describing the hydraulic cycle. Hmm. Uh, It comes and it goes. There is a um, statement in Luke 4 where Jesus comes into um, Simon Peter's house. Mm-hmm. And Simon Peter's mother-in-law uh, is prostrate with fever. Mm-hmm. And it says they tell Jesus of it, and Jesus rebukes the fever. One of the Christian fathers, and I'm reluctant to call his name, I think it was Cyril of Jerusalem, but I could be wrong mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of the name. But he noted around the 2nd or 3rd century A.D., he said, why would Jesus rebuke the fever? You would only rebuke something that's alive that can respond to the rebuke. Hmm. Well, they didn't know about germs. Interesting. They didn't know that that creature causes the fever. Right. They didn't didn't understand then. Yeah that these were living entities. Hmm. And so Jesus rebuked it. And the church father said, why would he rebuke it? Interesting. And it wasn't for many years. We now know why. Yeah. You know, when he is in the garden of Gethsemane, and Luke 22 tells us that he seemed to be 
sweating drops of mm -hmm. blood. You know, now Luke doesn't say he was sweating drops of blood. It says his it was like drops of blood mm -hmm. mixed with his. Okay, uh, Luke was a physician, mm -hmm. but what they did not know then that we know now is that under extreme stress, there's a condition called hematidrosis that can result hmm. in which the blood capillaries near the surface of the skin explode hmm. and are mixed with sweat. So he actually was seeing hematidrosis. Interesting. So, you know, you've got these little things all through the scriptures. Uh, and the Bible sets itself up as... When it's being literal, obviously there's times where we say Jesus is the Lamb of God. We're not saying he has four legs and goes back. You know, there's obviously there's some there's some interpretation that needs to go on. But the Bible has set itself up as saying this is a true account of history. It's a historical event from creation on. So let's kind of go through a little bit of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and okay. talk about what the Bible really says and then kind of where it's not real explicit, maybe, in what we can and can't say, you know, uh, about what's going on. For example, um, how, how many years passed between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? We don't know. There are theories um, that what's called the gap theory mm -hmm. uh, is perhaps in some way an attempt to explain the age of the earth mm -hmm. and the universe. The gap theory says that Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 1-2 says that the Spirit was hovering. Incidentally, the Hebrew there for hovering means dove or hmm. like a dove. The Spirit was hovering over the waters, and the earth was void and without form. The gap theory says that originally, when God created the heavens and the earth, it was occupied by the angels. Hmm. That Satan, when he fell, God said, all right, I'm going to scramble everything. Mm -hmm. In other words, Satan perhaps occupied the earth and the, and the angels, and God said, when he fell, God said, I'm going to scramble the egg. Mm -hmm. Then in chapter 1, verse 2 of Genesis, God is now reconstructing after the fall of Satan, mm -hmm. he is reconstructing the earth, uh, and we therefore don't know how much time elapsed between verse one and verse two. Ezekiel twenty-eight eleven through about sixteen does uh, give some credibility to the gap theory that talks about Satan was um, on the mountain of God and walked in the, amidst the stones of fire mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. It was the guardian cherub and that, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, I personally tend to see Genesis 1 as a general statement. Genesis 1-1 yeah. is a general statement. And then Genesis 1-2 on is an explanation from the earth standpoint of how creation then uh Happened. happened with mm -hmm. regard to the earth, yeah. So I think, and Scripture does it a lot. We had a general statement, mm -hmm. and then a specific definition that flows out of that general statement. But, See, I, I, I grew up believing in, you know, in East Texas, Bible Church, and I grew up believing that the earth is literally 8,000 years old from the first moment that a dirt molecule was created to the moment that I exist, you know, somewhere around the mm -hmm. thousands of years. 
And then you go to college and you hear all the scientific arguments of, well, the earth is actually, we can prove it's much, much older. Um, and then you, you get hit with evolution. And, and many people at that point fall away from their faith mm-hmm. because they're, they're faced with, well, the Bible claims to be true, yet evolution and, and science are saying that Genesis 1 can't have occurred like this, so the Bible must be wrong. And I think what I'm hearing you saying is, well, the Bible's not real clear in Genesis 1 how all this happened. We do know some things that did for sure happen. God actually created matter. God created life. God did some things. But as far as how many years that took, the the particular mechanisms he used and biological processes, those aren't spelled out and answered for us in the creation account. Um, it, what are some things that we can say for sure from the creation account that, that God did do um, and how that might, you know, what are some different options for us? I mean, obviously you said the, the gap theory is one that's a, an appropriate option. Well, also, the you know, God's creation is described in terms of days. Mm-hmm. And it's, there was evening, there was morning, there was a day, you know, yep. that sort of thing. Um the the Hebrew word for day uh, can mean twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. That can also mean eras. Mm-hmm. It it's not limited to a twenty four hour day. Uh, neither is English. When when we use the word day, uh, we usually mean twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. But we can use it in a context that's not twenty four hours. When we say, well, in Lincoln's day, mm-hmm. well, we don't mean a particular day in Lincoln's life. Right. We mean an era. An era of time. Uh, of time, you know, uh, the Civil War, th- that sort of thing, or uh, all kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, fit within day. So you could go either way, and I think God could have done it either way. I mean, I think he could have done it in 24 hours. He's an omnipotent God. Mm -hmm. He could have done it in 24 hours. No no two ways about it. Or he could have chosen to do it over a period of a lengthy period of time. Mm -hmm. Neither one is contradictory of the other. Uh, And neither one contradicts what the Genesis account says. And one of the the things, you know, that I do think about, and there's many different, you talk about what God could do. You know, one of the stories about Jesus' very first miracle he is turning water into wine, hmm. which is a time-intensive process. To get from grapes to grape juice to wine takes time. So for him to, in a moment, miraculously create something, he created it with the appearance of age. And so if you had handed a cup of wine and said, how long do you think this wine was aged for? All the scientific tests on that wine would have said, this is a wonderfully aged wine. Well, the master of the ceremonies said so. Yeah, right? He said, this is an amazing wine. I love this vintage. You saved it for last. And so we have examples where you can only test what is in front of you. You can't go back in history and, and test at the creation moment You know what, how God did some of these things. But we do know that he can and has created things with the appearance of age. Right. And so if that's true, then that means that we have right here a situation where God could have created all of the, our creation world in a few 24-hour days with the appearance of age. I'll give you another example. He created Adam as a fully grown human being. Exactly. Um, good old Adam got to skip teething. <laughs> Whether uh, he had a belly button, we're not sure, but well, that's one of the great questions yeah, of the he, universe. But he, 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 
not only created him with the appearance of age, mm-hmm. he created him as a fully grown adult human yeah. being. And Eve, too. That's exactly right. You know, so, yeah, he's capable of that. Why wouldn't he be capable of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, if he's omnipotent, in light of all that we've already seen about his attributes, mm-hmm. I mean, he's capable of anything he chooses to do. Um, so for me, I think where I still land a little bit is is the, the evening and the morning seems like a 24-hour thing to me. You know, right? I said the, the clear reading seems to be, but if somebody came along and said, man, I really feel like that's a long period of time, you know, no one is losing their salvation over some Correct. some some issues here. However, we what we do need to say is this was not accidental chance, where yes. there was lots of you know different animals bouncing around in the ocean, and then they decided to walk on land one day. Um, I think that is where we want to say in the creation story we have definitely enough clarity that God created. Um, these creatures with a specific design in mind for each of them, and man was his crowning achievement. No, I, I agree, and I, I do tend to see it as 24-hour periods, but mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with a young earth or an old earth, mm-hmm. either one, because yeah. um, I think God is capable of doing whichever he chooses mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. The, th- the thing that we do know is that he created something out of nothing. Hmm. And that can only have occurred because of God. Evolution's idea mm-hmm. that something out of spontaneously generated out of nothing. That just takes more faith than I've got. <laughs> it's almost like magic. But yeah. God himself, and the Hebrew, Hebrew uses the word uh, bara hmm. uh, to mean that God created material without existing material. Hmm. So I think bara is used... In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, other words are used when God creates something from other material. Hmm. Uh, when he, uh, he creates out of non-existent material, mm-hmm. but he also creates out of existing material, which would be the word asa. Interesting. Or the word yatsar. Yatsar is used when we talk about him creating Adam. Adam. Um, but, you know, he creates out of nothing, mm-hmm. and Hebrews tells us that, Hebrews 11, 6, no, mm-hmm. 11, 3, somewhere in there, he creates, the universe is created out of that which was unseen, but he also, in shaping the world and the earth and that sort of thing, created out of existing material mm. uh, afterwards, and, of course, Adam and Eve or Yetzar, you know, they were created out of and of course, material. And of course the great lesson in this is that because God took the time to craft creation with his own hands, of course creation is special. And of course mankind is special. And uh, this is where we get things like that every life matters is because we are God's creation. And it's not that you know, certain certain parts of God's creation are, are more important than others. It's that, man, we, we want to steward God's creation, and we want to uh, really take care of it, because that was the commission he gave Adam in the garden. Right, exactly. 